This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. a baby <laughs> that's what i think my baby is gonna sound like I, could your baby, baby i like that your baby is making fun of you <laughs> i have to change my baby's diaper <laughs> Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And this is another episode from our like Gnostic Scrolls series that we buried <laughs> until Andrew's spawn arrived, like Lavos erupting like, from like, the continent. The Council of Trent got together <laughs> and like threw out these podcasts and said it wasn't a part of the it wasn't a part of our body of work, but then we're just like a lot of scholarship scrolls style like we're just digging them up and here we are yeah we found these podcasts and uh we're gonna give them to you um and if this is your first time listening good luck uh one of us did you ever see uh a commercial for the the like not the book of mormon the but the book of mormon musical but the book of mormon like the first time i saw a like an infomercial for the book of mormon (laughs) That's I went weird. To my, I I went to my mom and I was like, "Man, they like so they like found a new book of the Bible, huh? Like, how did they? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just thought that it was, you know, that that God was maybe still pumping these things out. <laughs> hey, man, who knows? <laughs> it's probably there's probably new books out there. We just don't know. Yeah, but my, my friend's kid. This is not related to the Bible, but just marketing works. My friend's kid saw a billboard for that show Shen Yun. That like acrobatics sh- show from China. Yeah, okay, I thought this sounds like a PlayStation One game about sword fighting. No, 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 no. It's it's like uh, some propaganda acrobatics show, and okay. he is in the back of his of their car, and he said to his mom, just pointing, reading verbatim off a of billboard, "Mommy, it's a must see." <laughs> well, welcome to our must listen podcast. Uh, You'd say the darndest things. Don't you know, they? Somebody should do a show about it. Some of them say not that guy. Some of them say I'm someone a else baby. should. Someone someone else should do a show. I think about someone else did that show first. Thing. Yeah. So okay. Um, one of us reads a book, tells the other one about it. You, the listener, get to benefit by listening, like listeners do. Um, this week I read Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Our first Burroughs, Andrew. It's surprising to me that we are here in the late 300s of our show, and it is only our first Burroughs. Because dude wrote statistically like 13% of all books (laughs) that exist. (laughs) Like he wrote a ton of books. He's pretty prolific. He's pretty prolific, and he comes from a... So he was born in 1875, died in 1950. We'll talk about the long and winding road of his career Mm -hmm. in a minute. But uh, he's best known for characters like Tarzan and John Carter of Mars and he came of not of age but like his his authorship coincided with this era of pulp fiction where like these serialized stories were yeah well there's yeah great um but this it's this era where all of these sort of not well regarded let's say in literary circles, all of these sort of trashy stories were being uh, published in, in serialized format and all of these like monthly books. And he essentially, he looked at the stories that were being published this way and he said, I could do that, but better. And then he did it. Yeah. Isn't and he created two very enduring though. Some would argue like fundamentally dated 
yes characters who maintain a certain amount of like popularity and and um i guess name id to this day <laughs> one in particular being tarzan yeah i mean john carter there was that movie john carter that was named john carter and it was a bad name for a movie that was supposedly pretty good yeah it had well, tim riggins in it all i know from the from all i remember from the john carter trailer was a man in pants and no shirt like doing a, an impressive jump while holding a weapon yeah on that's what tim must riggins. have been mars <laughs> um that was his first story was that his first story was was some John Carter yeah, stuff? Yeah, so John, his uh, Burroughs' first story, published in 1912, was uh, the first part of uh, the first John Carter story called Under the Moons of Mars. It was published, the first entry in the All Story. Yeah. Under the name Norman Bean. <laughs> I love he Norman to, Bean's work. Wanted to protect his reputation, didn't want it to be tarnished by these trashy pulp stories that he was writing. So this was, uh, he was in his, like, late 30s at this point yeah yeah dude did a lot of different stuff before he settled on being an author by just looking at someone (laughs) else's work and being like i could do that (laughs) okay uh but yeah by the time the first john carter story had wrapped up like i think the first part of it was published in july of 1912 uh by the time it finished he had written two other books including the one that you read tarzan of tarzan of the apes and that came out in october of 1912 wow that's over 100 years ago yeah, That's and he a- was paid for that first John Carter entry $400, which today is like 10000 and something. That's a lot, which bud. Pretty good freelancing rates. I don't think you could get that anymore. How I much- mean, I think you could still get $400, but it would be $400 in today's <laughs> dollars, not in $1912. How much did you read about John Carter? Not a whole lot. I'm, because you read Tarzan. No, so that's I just, where I focused my research efforts. I just made a note to myself that the Mars, the planet Mars in those books is called Barsoom. Um, and the planet Venus is called Amtor. Uh, John Carter is a Confederate veteran who oh, goes no. gold prospecting in Arizona, makes a bunch of Apaches mad, has to hide from them in a magic cave. And it transports him to Mars, where he's super strong. I can that's, see why he would be such an enduring character. <laughs> that's a wonderful <laughs> character. But yeah, Burroughs is known for these these characters who persist throughout yes. fiction, but are also really problematic and dated in ways that we'll talk about in a little bit. Yep, yep, yep. But yeah, these stories are all about a white man comes in and he tames... The wilderness of some in kind. Tarzan, that's Africa. In John Carter of Mars, it's Mars. Mars. <laughs> the same, really. Uh, um, do you have stuff on the like the the Tarzan transmedia experience? Yeah. So there, there are. I mean, there there are conflicting accounts of how many Tarzan films there are. The L.A. Times, uh, when writing in response to the most recent Tarzan film, which came out in 2016. What? And starred, yeah, it uh, it came out in 2016. It had Margot Robbie, Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, Alexander Skarsgård in it. He Was he Tarzan? Yeah, he was Tarzan. What? Uh, but yeah, th- there, was a, there was a piece in the LA Times that, that came out in response to that movie. Yeah. Um, more than 200 films have featured the Burroughs character, a white orphan raised by apes in the African jungle, and Tarzan has swung through multiple generations of radio and television shows, stage plays, and video games. For generations of predominantly white audiences, Tarzan represented adventure and athleticism, but most adaptations were steeped in the paternalistic idea that it takes a white man to save Africa. Mm. But yeah, so he was he was in a bunch of films, like the just tons and tons and tons of them uh that yeah Burroughs radio- was involved in like he worked on a, yeah like, a and, whole and bunch Burroughs of also worked on like the radio like the radio dramas and, and all the other stuff that that tarzan was was part of um just this he was such a popular character so in the, in the mid to late 19 teens the exact year is disputed uh burrows bought this ranch near los angeles that he named tarzana right Great, perfect and then Tarzana, he started. Tarzana. Oh, Tarzana, don't you cry for me. Yep, perfect. Came to Africa with 
the banjo on your knee. <laughs> I mean, checks out. Yeah. Uh, so he he started selling parcels of of land to other people so they could they could move in and and build up and this community that that rose up around this Tarzana ranch decided in the year 1927 that they wanted to adopt the name Tarzana for the name of their town. And so Tarzana, California persists to this day. God dang it. And it's really close to LA. So a lot of famous people came from there. Wikipedia has this whole list of the Wikipedia article for Tarzana at Los Angeles is weirdly detailed with like climate and demographic and like educational information. Yes. But the best thing is the list of notable people from Tarzana. Uh-huh. That's got Edgar Rice Burroughs. I mean, it's, it's arranged alphabetically, but he's like number eight on a list for a town that he found. Oh my <laughs> so, God. But, uh, Iggy Azalea is from Tarzana. Whoa. Uh, who else we got? We got Kevin Hart. Okay. Uh, John Lovitz from Tarzana. <laughs> it stinks. It's <laughs> just a lot of lot of lot of famous folks. Yeah, a lot of famous people like Kevin Hart and John Lovitz. Um, okay, okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, this this so this character was a big deal, is what I what, is what I'm saying. What I found about the the movie treatments was that there were two early films starring a guy named Elmo Lincoln, and then the next twelve starred a swimmer named Johnny Weissmuller. Yeah, he's like a an Olympic swimmer. Yes. who was Tarzan for a hundred years, and he basically created the cinematic trope of the like me Tarzan you Jane character sure. which as we'll discuss is quite different from the book because well, um, the first movies came out where they would they, they even were have been silent talkies? films I think yeah. yeah I think they were silent and I think some of the Weissmuller ones may have also been silent films but I there's a useful comparison in terms of book adaptation to put this and the film up against um like how Frankenstein has been treated and Frankenstein's monster has been treated um, we did that book ages ago, but like that monster is like super smart and learns a bunch of languages and stuff. And if you go to Tarzan's, the character's Wikipedia page, it's basically laid out like he's a comic book character with special powers. But one of them is that he can learn a new language in days, ultimately speaking languages that include French, Finnish, English, Dutch, German, Swahili, many Bantu dialects, Arabic, Ancient Greek, Ancient Latin, Mayan, the languages of the Ant-Men and of Pellucidar, presumably planets or something that he travels to. I'm not sure. Um, the dude's Ant-Men? A, <laughs> dude's a scholar. <laughs> I, I think there's Gentlemen probably a book called and Tarzan scholar. and the Ant-Man. Um, but he is not the like... It, the, the book does deal with the fact that he can't speak English for a productive period of time, but it is not in the way that I certainly expected and, and not the way that I think people familiar with cinematic Tarzan would either. Do you think Tarzan was for kids in like the 1920s and 30s what like Ernest was for us? Because there were a million Ernest movies, right? Like Ernest goes to Africa. Ernest goes Ernest scared stupid. Ernest Goes to Jail, I think, was one, I a think, real one. I think they were more popular than the Ernest movies, though. I think the Ernest movies were pretty popular. Come on, though. I don't know that they were that popular. I know oh, that in Ernest Goes yeah. to Jail, I think he gets zapped by lightning and he can like use special electronic powers. Um, uh, Ernest Scared Stupid, yep. Ernest Saves Christmas, uh-huh. Ernest, goes, Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Goes to Jail, Ernest Rides Again, Ernest in the Army... Support the troops. Slam dunk Ernest. Oh, way to way to mess up the naming convention. Ernest goes to Africa and Ernest goes to school, which seems Okay. Like not maybe a like a that's movie a worthy that's a late concept. Ernest movie? Well the ninety four, so it's a it's kind of a middle period okay. Ernest okay. movie. Yeah. Sure. Like late, late middle period. <laughs> late Imperial Ernest. <laughs> um I guess but then by the time you get to Ernest Goes to Africa and Slam Dunk Ernest, those are direct to video titles. So Sure. Yeah. Um I will I think kind of close out this opening section with a quote from Rudyard Kipling, um, who wrote the Jungle Book series, um, talking about 
uh, Tarzan, he said, My jungle books begat zoos of imitators, but the genius of all the genii was one who wrote a series called Tarzan of the Apes. I read it, but I regret I never saw it on the films where it rages most successfully. What? He had, quote, jazzed the motif of the Jungle Books and I imagine had thoroughly enjoyed himself. He was reported to have said that he wanted to find out how bad a book he could write and get away with, which is a legitimate ambition. (laughs) Yeah. Having not read any of the Kipling books, I can't say how messy he is, but that's a great quote. I'm a fan of that quote all through and through. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, I think we're all in our own ways striving to discover what the minimum acceptable amount of effort is. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Maybe not in all areas of our lives, but definitely in some areas. <laughs> you know, that's us here talking uh, to you. Yeah, last Burroughs stuff, and then we can we can yeah, move yeah, yeah. on. But um, Burroughs drifted from job to job a lot. So as, as you noted, by the time he was becoming a, a published famous author he was in his like late 30s um so he you know he was a cowboy he was a miner he was a railroad policeman he was a pencil sharpener salesman yeah he had i think like 16 or 17 separate jobs and he kept failing a lot (laughs) like he just kept failing a lot and then finally he found this thing that he could do and he became famous yeah well you know that's his deal. But uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated was formed in the 30s to distribute the books and control like licensing and stuff. And it still controls the properties today and it remains in the control of the Burroughs family. So I was surprised to hear that it had not been sold to Disney or somebody by now. But it's been like yeah, they make, yeah, it's making enough licensing and it. it uh, we're, I don't know the timeline of the mouse, but Disney owns all our copyright law anyway. So yeah, I mean, they were there was a there was a lawsuit that happened um, in 2012 because the first of the Burroughs books had entered the public domain, but uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated was arguing that the characters themselves were still. Under protected copyright? by copyright. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, the version I read was the or, or like, trademark, I guess, not copyright. Okay, but, but it's a similar. Yeah, similar. I read a like a free edition because and it was fine. It was in good shape. Um, and they so the, and then they settled that in in 2014. So there's no like Supreme Court precedent protecting or <laughs> the people versus or Tarzan, the people of Tarzana yeah. versus Burroughs or something. <laughs> Craig, thanks for joining me in the ad break again. Happy to be here, Craig. I was just wondering, how's your mouth today, Craig? Well, Craig, it's fine, but it could certainly be better. Then, Craig, do I have the perfect sponsor to tell you about? Quip. Quip, Craig? Quip, Craig? The easiest way to ease back into a routine in time for school is to simplify your mornings and evenings with a simpler electric toothbrush from Quip. The timed sonic vibrations cover the basics of every part of your mouth and take just two minutes of your day. You can ease back into the swing of things with a smile. But Craig, what if I'm not ready for summer to end? Then, Craig, you can take the Quip toothbrush with you thanks to its lightweight, compact design. That sounds great, Craig, but how will I ever know when to change those dirty brush heads? Glad you asked, Craig. Quip brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule for just $5. This is one of Andrew's favorite parts of Quip, actually. Aw, Andrew. Remember him? I do, Craig. I do. We miss him very much. But let's stop talking about him and get back to talking about Quip. Learn to love Quip like we do and get into an easy, clean mouth routine. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash overdue right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash overdue. Get Quip. Get smiling. Thanks, Craig. You're welcome, Craig. Well, let's get in the book, Andrew. This is one of those ones, I think, where we can just kind of go through the story. You can speed me along when I take too much time, but interrupt know it. interrupt me with questions about characters or stuff that sounds kind of messy based on your research, because this book is messy. 
to a modern you know reader in particular. What? That the best Ernest film. Oh my gosh. Rating on IMDb is 5.8 stars, and the worst one is 4.8 stars. Hey, that's pretty so reliable. All, every every one of these nine Ernest films released over a roughly decade long period is roughly equivalent in quality. Like that's pretty. I'd I'd be surprised if all the Tarzan books. It's the were fast that. food of movies. Like yeah. good fast food is very reliable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not good for you, and most of it doesn't taste great. But you know what it's going to be. You know what you're getting. Yeah. When you go to see Ernest in the Army. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the book. I'm sorry. To That's keep... okay. What do you know about Tarzan? Hit me with what you know. Coming into this podcast, you've never read Tarzan. I know you've seen all the Tarzan films, but like. Okay. I know he's a jungle boy. Uh-huh. I know there's that Disney movie. In like their in their declining yeah animated, like two D animated era where he like slid on trees with his feet which seems like a good way to get a lot of splinters uh huh it was very X Games of him I know there's Jane yes who is a woman yes correct <laughs> and those are the Tarzan facts that I know great well useful for that uh, for you to know because this book doesn't open with Tarzan it opens with uh, the narrator um, doing a very big like, now this story may not be true, but I did hear it from a guy who told me and he later showed me some documents that lead me to believe that it is true. And now I will tell you a story. Um, con- not not an epistolary novel, but we've read books before that have the like this. Cr- it's like a Ripley's Believe It or Not kind of thing. Like, let mm-hmm. me let me prime you for this outlandish tale. Sure. Um, John Clayton, an Englishman, Lord Greystroke, is sent to West Africa to inspect some sort of turmoil among the natives. This is in the year of our Lord, 1888. Um, I guess at this time, Britain has, of course, has colonial interests in Africa and, and everywhere, just everywhere, generally everywhere, <laughs> and other countries are also in there, like messing with their stuff. So they send uh, the hot, youthful Lord Greystroke down there. Um, he is described as Christian Greystroke. He is described as the type of Englishman that one likes best to associate with the noblest monuments of historic achievement upon a thousand victorious battlefields, a strong, virile man, mentally, morally, and physically. All right, Edgar Rice Perot. The best of the best men. Um, And he brings his wife that he married three months ago and already got pregnant, um... I don't remember her name. Nice. Um, Alice, maybe, brings her with him. Uh, he's like a little scared to bring her with him, and she's like, no, nah, we got to go do it. It's our duty. We have to do our duty. And they charter a boat, and the boat endures a mutiny, um, and the you know a bunch of the dudes who work the boat kill the captain. There's a big fight, uh, and they end up, the mutineers leave the Clayton's, uh, on the coast uh, with some supplies and say, good luck. Have fun. That's it. And right. they say, Seems fair. they say, we're going to leave and we will definitely, definitely promise definitely to tell someone that you're here. And, John, and they definitely, and they definitely do. And that's the end of the <laughs> that's, book, right? that's, No, that's not at all. Um, so they leave and leave John Clayton there with his wife. And he is like, how are we going to live? And Alice is like, I don't know how we're going to live. He's like, we will live here. We have, you know, haven't our ancestors made it through areas this, you know, wild and primeval before? And not only have our ancestors have done it, we are modern people with reason and knowledge. We shall survive. Um, Alice replies, I wish that I might be a man with a man's philosophy, but I am but a woman seeing with my heart rather than my head, and all that I can see is too horrible, too unthinkable to put into words. I only hope you are right, John. I will do my best to be a brave primeval woman, a fit mate for the primeval man. So, obviously, a... uh, um... (laughs) 
an author who is just like really well versed in the woman's perspective. Very, and this is setting up what's going to happen with Jane later, which is why I want to spend some time on this, just because like women all the time be thinking with their hearts and not their heads. They don't know how to you think know? with their heads. Yeah, and it's very helpful when women say that out loud, just to let us know <laughs> that's yeah. how they're operating. Yeah, because I mean, like we can assume, but. <laughs> It's always best to leave to make things explicit instead of just leaving them implied. You know? Yes. So he builds them. It takes like a month or two. He builds them a little cabin and they have their like books and some guns and stuff. So they're doing OK. Um, All the stuff you need. <laughs> books and guns. Um, and she they do encounter an anthropoid ape. Now, I looked this up. Um, this is the term that. Burroughs uses for the apes that we spend the most time with. Anthropoid. Anthropoid. Now, I looked this up. It basically encapsulates everything from a chimp to an orangutan. So chimps, bonobos, um, gorillas, and orangutans. Though, I think he probably means bonobos or something like it. Um, because well, I mean, the, basically, we are, we are thinking anthropomorphic. They are loosely human-ish they're human-ish he does at some point separate these anthropoid apes from gorillas um they are of a they are sworn enemies of the tribe of apes that we meet um, obviously obviously so i think it's like a they're like bonobos on steroids or something um and thankfully it you know it attacks them in their cabin um they do manage to kill it but Alice like passes out, and when she comes to, she kind of is a little like out of it and doesn't believe that they're not in England anymore, and has their baby, and then like a year later, just like passes away quietly from like I guess the stress, unclear. Okay. And her feeble, my, her feeble lady mind was so overwhelmed. Correct, <laughs> it's true. Um, jump cut to the apes. We are um, we spend some time with a tribe of apes led by a, a mean man or a mean male ape named Kerchak. Uh, How do we know his name? That's what it says. We're in the I apes' perspective. The... Okay, all right. I don't know if they actually say Kerchak or Kerchak or not. Cause that's that's a thing that the book doesn't answer, but they have names. Um. There we also meet Kala, who is a mom who has a baby, but Kala, Kala, but uh, Kerchak is like mad because just male apes get mad sometimes, and he's just like trying to beat everybody up. And mm -hmm. while you know you've played Donkey Kong, you know how it works. And so she is like trying to get away from him, and her baby falls and dies, and she like can't deal with the grief so she's just like carrying her baby around with her for the beginning of this chapter it's like with her at all times even though it's dead very sad um kerchak wants lord graystroke's gun he has seen the human man though he doesn't know that he's a human he doesn't know what that is he has seen the human man kill an ape with that gun and he wants it it's like a thunder stick he calls it Mm -hmm. So they go in. This is after uh, Greystroke's wife has passed away. The apes go in. They beat the crap out of him and kill him. Um, Kala takes the infant baby that's crying from the bassinet, leaves her dead baby in the bassinet, her dead ape baby. Just, tr just a trade. Just a trade, one for one. It's like when you take your, you know, your iPhone dies, you take it to the Apple store, <laughs> you leave it there and you take another, you take a working one back home with you. Yeah. What's the smartphone that looks the most like an iPhone, but is not an iPhone, Andrew? Oh boy. It's uh, there. There are a bunch of Chinese ones <laughs> that do that. Okay. Cause in, in the way it is, it done... used to be like Samsung got sued for it, but that was a bunch of years ago at this point. But you put, yeah, it was in China where the IP laws are a lot looser. <laughs> You'll find a lot of very iPhone looking smartphones Some e -phones iPhones. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, because it's like, like guy phones, <laughs> um, they, that I want to bring that up because, like, over the course of the book, um, whether or not that is a human baby's skeleton in that bassinet becomes important. 
and there's like tiny means of telling it apart from an ape. So I wanted to make sure it was one that sort of looked like trading in an iPhone and not, it's not just getting a new iPhone. It's an right. off brand iPhone. Yeah. Um, cause what are apes, but off brand humans, that's definitely the comparison I'm making. Um, <laughs> and so okay. they kill Lord Greystroke. They do like, there's like a weird moment where they, Kerchak tries to take his gun. He fires it accidentally and gets scared. And when they're all running out of the house, they accidentally close and lock the door. And then none of the apes go in there ever again. Because <laughs> they don't understand how doors work. I mean, who's among us <laughs> does not have a closet or something that they can't get into. It's true. Um, so then we do like a little bit of a time jump where Kala has been raising Tarzan. She names him Tarzan um, because it means white skin. I look, uh, uh-huh. apparently um, Burroughs just made it up. He almost called him Xantar and Tublet Zan and thought they were both bad and went with Tarzan. I mean, just we could we could be talking about Tublet Zan <laughs> California right now. <laughs> And we aren't. I know. Zantara, California. What a mess. <laughs> um, we do get like a real quick moment where like within an hour of Kala holding baby Tarzan, he's just breastfeeding from an ape. I guess that works. Sure. Why not? Milk is milk. Um, yeah, I've learned so much about this. Yeah, I know milk. you have. Um, By the time people are hearing this, I'll know even more. <laughs> It'll be just a lot. Uh, we jump cut to when he's like 10. He knows he's never re- going to be a real ape. It's kind of bugging him. He's a little like, he, he's not, he, he like sees his reflection in the mirror. He doesn't know why he's not hairier like the everyone mirror. else. Why are these oh, not a mirror, sorry. Mirrors. In a, in a, in a river. In a, he sees his reflection in a river. Excuse gonna me. I going to say like he gets on the ape's laptop no. and sees in the, the webcam that he doesn't look like an ape. Like why do these apes have, are so, why are they so well outfitted? Um, he is like cleverer than the other apes. He like invents rope and uh, like makes little like kind of like hunting nooses with it to like mess with the other apes and other animals. It seems weird that none of the other apes like catch on or are interested, but we don't really uh, dive that deep. Burroughs doesn't. Sure. Um, he does eventually go back and inspect the house uh, where he does figure out how to open the door because he's such a smart little boy. Mm-hmm. And he sees the human skeletons, doesn't register because he has no idea. He finds a sick knife, which he keeps, and he finds picture books that have the alphabet in them. And he's like sort of confused because the picture books have people in them, and he recognizes that they look like him, not like the apes. Hmm. Think about hmm. that. Interesting. Um,. A gorilla tries to kill him, and he discovers stabbing by punching the gorilla while holding a knife. <laughs> when you said he invented rope, I almost said something like, did he invent rope, or did he just also discover rope? I mean, he discovered it. Like, But I think to, to, yeah, he didn't invent stabbing. But he did, like, learn how to, he learned that stabbing was a thing. Because sure. he did not hold the knife knowing it could stab. He learns what it can do by punching while he is holding a knife. Yeah. There was actually, there is a, um, in the Guardian, I think it was. Okay. Um, for some literary creations, it's possible to hip them up a bit for the iPhone generation. Sherlock Holmes <laughs> gets Robert Downey Jr. and a few slow motion fight scenes and Bob's your uncle. Holmes is just a really witty guy with no social skills and a minor opiate addiction. In a different time, he might have been the CEO of a tech company in San Francisco. Tarzan's a dude who lives in a treehouse and talks to apes. He lives in Africa and has no black friends. Um <laughs> <laughs> But when you when you said that, it did make me think like, oh, this guy, this is a very San Francisco mindset to think that because I discovered it, I must have invented it. Yo, he is disrupting being an ape <laughs> left and right. Um, he does get like beat up by that ape and Kala has to like help him recuperate um, the, the gorilla that he killed with stabbing. Um, and he goes back to get his knife and then he starts hanging around the human house and he basically teaches himself to read, having no idea what language is. Yeah, that happens. He just starts looking at the pictures, 
just intuits that uh, the words for boy is a pattern that repeats that correspond to a picture of a boy like him. Uh-huh. And he then just kind of reverse engineers the written word, which helps him to learn that he is a man and that the that the monkeys and gorillas and stuff are apes. Um, cool. He knows how to write now, and he is not like told any. He's not told any of his other apes about it. This is a big problem I have. He is learning about ropes. He's learning about stabbing. He learns languages, and he isn't like talking to his mom about it he's not like hey mom why don't we write does he talk to her about anything no or does he have a does he have a it sounds like he would have like some kind of innate innate knowledge of himself as different from these apes like and and you brought this up earlier when he sees himself in the really sweet nice mirror that these apes have yes true that he, you know, he he knows he's not like them. So I guess it does make a certain amount of sense that he wouldn't like chat. That he him would up. maybe like reserve that. Yes. He wouldn't be like, "Hey, I invented stabbing today." Yeah, and there's like a whole ceremony that the that the apes have where they like killed a gorilla, and they like beat a big drum that they have unclear where it came from, um, and they like go in and like eat it, and he uses his knife to cut off a particularly good like gorilla steak. And one of the other apes gets really mad at him, and he kills it with stabbing. And right. he tells all the other apes, "I am Tarzan. I'm a good killer. Respect me." Uh, and he when just do you learn like, how to talk? Well, this is an unclear. The apes do occasionally use like dialogue, like they do speak to each other. Like earlier, uh, Kerchak says to Kala, "Let us leave him quietly sleeping among the tall grasses, that you may bear other and stronger apes to guard us in our old age." Again, that's just Burroughs like translating ape speak. I guess mm-hmm. there's not a lot of talking to apes that happens in this book. He Great. he quickly realizes that he is way smarter than them and like not interested. <laughs> um, he also thinks, "Hey, I got to get clothes because apparently." Men wear clothes, and that's how they separate themselves from animals. Otherwise, what is the point? Because they're terrible. Um, Though during a rainstorm, he realizes that he would be warmer if he were wearing clothes. Um, So he does, like, he he doesn't succeed, but he does kind of come up with a desire to kill a a lion so that he can wear its skin. Which, you know, who hasn't done that, right? Right. Um, By 18, he can pretty much read anything in all the books. Um... (laughs) It's unclear what books he's reading. Like, it seems like maybe there'd be some philosophy that he wouldn't really understand. Um, I guess he knows about cities at this point. Doesn't really know what they do or anything. It really feels like, like of course, the, the reader would know that these things were things. But I don't know how somebody with zero context intuits all of this stuff Correct. himself. And and my, my understanding from reading stuff about... Tarzan uh-huh. is that he is you know he is just superior to everyone around him. Yes. Well, so the the an overarching theme of the book and this is I think even from Burroughs' own words about Tarzan is that he was interested in heredity versus environment. So uh-huh. his idea being I took the noble sire of a noble Britishman and <laughs> This guy who by blood is going to be predisposed to being like an upper crust genius and said, what if he was raised in the jungle by apes? And like, at what point does the nobleman start to emerge out of his blood and, you know, predisposition? Right, because it's it's a hereditary thing. Like, of course, Definitely. he's innately. Yes, yeah. of course. Of course, he's innately like a Roman god. Mm-hmm. Um who's a genius. So like any time that you think like, what, wait, how did he learn grammar though? Like you just have to know <laughs> that his ancestors have been sipping tea and oppressing people for like centuries. Yeah. Grammar's so, in his blood. It's so. just in his blood. Um, Maybe he learned it from his grammar. Oh my God. So, you know, he's got his, his grandpa and his grammar. Yep, that's what he's got. 
He does. The only thing his mom has told him about where he comes from is that uh, she's his mom. Uh, this is the ape Kala, and that she like had him with like some white ape, which he is you know learning. He do, he's not quite sure to do that information, um, but he knows that he's not a straight like normal ape boy. Um, we do get a, like a brief interlude where uh, Tarzan starts to encounter actual other men, um, a tribe of. Uh, African natives, unclear. I think they're from the Congo, but it's unclear like what specific tribe they might correspond to because Burroughs doesn't really care. Um, they have been displaced by conflict with white colonists. Uh, but we do... So, like, there's an innate thing that Burroughs is at least nodding to where any of the, uh, like, native African people we encounter who do bad stuff in this book and are not portrayed well, uh, mm -hmm. that they are also at the mercy of, like, colonial forces. Mo sure. Mostly blamed on the king of Belgium, <laughs> but, because I guess, you know, the that British guy. Ugh, can't don't be get me that started on the Don't get me started on the king of Belgium. <laughs> but then you get sentences like this. But that which meant freedom and the pursuit of happiness to these savage blacks meant consternation and death to many of the wild denizens of their new home. Which sets up a weird power structure where, like, also he's using the term savage just very loosely and bad. Oh, badly. yeah, of course. Um, mm -hmm. But also, like, Tarzan, the white savior boy, is now being threatened by encroaching natives? Not great, but just a weird thing to do. Yeah. Um, anyway, one of the uh, men, Kalanga, uh, he goes hunting, kills Tarzan's mom with a poisoned arrow. Um, Tarzan ends up avenging uh, her after f tracking Kalanga for a while, realizing that he's gonna like that he's tracking a dude. He wants to learn about killing with these arrows, of course, because they're super powerful and they like kill you with poison, even though he doesn't really know what poison is. Uh -huh. um, I will say. He does use his like rope and noose trick on a dude before stabbing him. And it's just a very loaded image to encounter in Tarzan. I don't, mm -hmm. it's bad. Um, mm -hmm. He does not eat Kulanga, uh, though he has to decide not to. That's just a, a, a line he won't cross, he says. That's good of him. Yeah. Uh, cannibalism being a line that like separates men from beasts, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he starts like haunting Kalanga's village and like stealing arrows from them. He does end up killing Kerchak, becomes king of the apes, where they are like raiding food from these villagers at night. Um, but being king sucks because none of the apes are as smart as him. Um, so he gets in one last fight with an ape called Turkaz. He invents the half. These ape names, man. They're pretty good. It's like every every name he rejected from Tarzan, <laughs> he just gave to some ape uh -huh. instead. Um, so limited was their vocabulary that Tarzan could not even talk with them of the many new truths and the great fields of thought that his reading had opened up before his longing eyes or make known ambitions which stirred his soul. Which is basically every kid who comes home from college and is like, yo, my parents don't get it. <laughs> they don't get what I was studying in English class or political <laughs> science. Ugh. Um, but I'm so worldly and smart now. I know. Um, Turkaz tries to fight him. He invents the half Nelson hold, uh, and instead of killing Turkaz, makes him actually submit, which is a new thing. Mercy is a new thing. Um, and he's like, "Listen, I'm not going to be your king anymore because this sucks. Choose your own leader. I'm leaving." Um, Cool. I need you to know that I'm better than you, but I don't need to be around to like make you do stuff. Yes, correct. Um, we get another check-in that he's super hot. He invents shaving with his knife so that he doesn't look like an ape by having hair all over his face. Um, he steals clothing from the villagers so that he can look more like a man. Uh, then he does witness a mutiny on another boat. Um, and he can tell that the people who have been let down on a smaller boat coming to shore uh, are going to wind up at the house that his, you know, he doesn't know, but his dad built. So he, Martin Luther style, leaves a note nailed to the door because, of course, he can write. 
um, that says, This is the house of Tarzan, the killer of beasts and many black men. Do not harm the things which are Tarzan's. Tarzan watches, signed Tarzan of the Apes. Again, not sure how he learned grammar. Right. Um, well, this, is, this, of course, is the first passive-aggressive <laughs> note that a white person ever left <laughs> about something related to his living space. It's true. He did. It's in a proud tradition that we continue to this day. Tarzan did invent Nextdoor. It's a good such service. A, such a great heritage. Yes. Um, the white people that arrive from this boat are uh, Jane Porter, her dad, Professor Porter, Professor's secretary, Samuel Philander, um, their black maid, their black maid Esmeralda, who is a real kind of cartoonish caricature of a woman that I don't recommend, um, and William Clayton, who is actually Tarzan's cousin, unbeknownst to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that will come. That will become important later. All right. So how how far through the book are we right now? This is like halfway through the book, and the okay, latter. So we're not doing too bad. No, we're not doing too bad, and. Um, the main thing to know about this like opening section, uh, the professor and the sidekick are wandering into the jungle. They're looking for something. Um, Tarzan immediately has the hots for Jane. Like imme- he just sees her and he's like, I'm in love. I need it. I need that woman. Mm-hmm. He's not quite sure what to do about that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the mutineers tries to shoot William, but Tarzan hits him with a spear from like the bushes and everyone's like, whoa, Tarzan is watching. <laughs> whoa, Tarzan invented stabbing? Who taught him about stabbing? <laughs> they, have, they have yet to meet Tarzan, but somebody threw a spear out of the woods, which would be terrifying, killed a mutineer, and then the rest of them like run away and go back on their boat. Um, William goes into the woods to try and find the professor who's presumably gotten lost, and Tarzan, again, William remarks how hot Tarzan is, um, Tarzan saves William from a lion. William, I'm going to need you to <laughs> be just like 60% less thirsty for Tarzan. He's <laughs> pretty thirsty Please. for Tarzan. Everybody is. Um, another lion attacks Esmeralda and Jane in the house. Uh, Tarzan helps them kill it and then disappears like Batman style because they like try to talk to him and he can't talk. He doesn't know what spoken English is. Um, they also then don't think that this man from the jungle is Tarzan because they presume that the dude who wrote the note would be able to speak English. This is the dumbest thing in this book. (laughs) And I, it made me mad every time I thought too hard about it. (laughs) It it is this bizarre, like mistaken identity thing where they believe that there are two people in the jungle, the wood man and Tarzan of the apes. (laughs) Uh huh. And never the twain shall meet. They can't possibly imagine that it's the same person. Um, so Sounds like hilarious sitcom. Yeah, it's pretty. Tarzan ends up saving the older guys from the jungle. Clayton discovers that that they're at the house that his uncle built. Um, again, Jane uh, Tarzan looks at Jane and decides that she quote exists to be protected. Again, unclear where he's getting these thoughts. It's probably his hereditary nobleman kicking in. Classic woman thing. Um, Tarzan does sneak in at night and reads a note that Jane wrote to her friend, um, presumably to be mailed if they were ever rescued. She's from, like, they're from America. Um, He learns that the porters went on a journey to find this treasure that has since been taken by the mutineers and buried. Um, She confesses to not loving William, because she doesn't like noblemen. Um, and Tarzan's like, cool, she's single. I'm gonna Well, and, and he also seems very interested in Tarzan. Yeah. Let's not <laughs> He does. He's pretty into Tarzan. Yeah. Um uh, and Tarzan draws the conclusion that yes, this lady's definitely single. I'm gonna write my name at the bottom of the letter she was writing to someone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just says Tarzan of the Apes. He leaves it. Um, he leaves her another note. That let me find the passage. Um, 
leaves her another note that says, I am Tarzan of the Apes. I want you. I am yours. You are mine. We live here together, always in my house. I will bring you the best of fruits, the tenderest deer, the finest meats that roam the jungle. I will hunt for you. I am the greatest of the jungle fighters. I will fight for you. I am the mightiest of the jungle fighters. You are Jane Porter. I saw it in your letter. When you see this, you will know that it is for you and that Tarzan of the Apes loves you. You know... When people write their own wedding vows, I find it kind of hit or miss sometimes. <laughs> but these are this is very sweet. Now, of course, she does not get to read this note because one of the apes has kidnapped her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turkaz has returned because no, not Turkaz <laughs> because uh, the apes did not want to be ruled by him. They kind of exiled him and. He said that, well, he just kind of, you know, decided by himself he had seen this white ape lady and he was like, well, I'm going to make my own tribe with her. You know, very, very good King Kong kind of stuff. And Tarzan tracks her down. He kills Turkaz with his knife. And immediately he and Jane make out. Immediately. Like he kills an ape. It happens very quickly. It's like the most disappointing WrestleMania like final bout. Like it's over in <laughs> seconds. And they rush into each other's arms. They make out. For a moment, the first in her young life, she knew the meaning of love. And then Tracks. she and then she recoils and is basically like, ew, I kissed a wild monkey man. <laughs> and she doesn't really know <laughs> how to deal with her feelings. So they spend some time like in the jungle together. She thinks he's hot as hell. She refers to him as a perfect creature. He isn't sure how to feel about what he wants because he knows that Turkaz was going to like mate with her by force. He doesn't really know what men do because he's like, I have the same feelings, but how do I like interact with her? Because mm-hmm. um, of course they can't talk, and this is where like the movie would do like me, Jane, you, Tarzan stuff, right? And this never happens. Mm-hmm. Um, he is wearing like a locket with pictures of his family in it. He gives it to her. She kisses it and like to th- say thank you, I guess. And like then he kisses it again. And Burroughs calls this a heredity in a hereditary instinct of graciousness. And he spends like two pages talking about how just being near Jane is like awakening the nobleman in him. Which is because it's all because it's all in his blood. Like it is established already. Yes, yes, it's all it's all in there already. Correct. And a lot of it he found slash invented himself, obviously. <laughs> but he still got he still got <laughs> a lot of a lot of a lot of ways to go. Yes. Um. Some French dudes led by Lieutenant Darno, uh, they arrive having dealt with the boat of mutineers. Um, they it's so French. It's so like. <laughs> they hear that Jane was abducted and a dude literally yells, Mon Dieu! <laughs> Zou de Lord! Zou de Lord. Uh, they tell the story about how the mutineers, none of, none of them knew how to navigate, and so they just got lost. Um, and they yeah, started... Classic, classic French. They kind of went mad and started to eat each other. So, like, I guess that's Burroughs, like, trying to balance the scale by saying, like, even the white men can be, like, Crazy wild beasts, too. (sighs) Right? Right? Fine. Fine. Then we get into what I think is like the worst part of the racist elements of this book, because there's a lot of them. Um, The Frenchmen go out into the jungle to try and find Jane. While they're leaving, Tarzan drops Jane back off at the house. So all of this is for naught. Uh The quote-unquote savages uh, capture Darno almost kill him Tarzan saves him and you get little asides where Burroughs is like well they're only they're only being so savage because the evil Belgians colonized their land as if that's t- supposed to make it better when Darno says stuff like as he's like looking at the people capturing him the bestial faces daubed with color the huge mouths and flabby hanging lips the yellow teeth sharp filed the rolling demon eyes the shining naked bodies the cruel spears surely no creatures really existed upon earth he must indeed be dreaming and it's this close third person point of view where 
if Burroughs were actually being even-handed, he would make it more explicit that those are Darno's views and not just like partially how Burrow is seeing things also. Sure. Um, so that's the stuff where you're like, man, this is crappy and bad. Uh, some of the Frenchmen die and they go back to camp. Darno is taken away by Tarzan, so they don't know where he is. Um, they get back to camp and Jane's like, I'm alive. And they're like, oh, so sad that people lost their lives because of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jane and uh, William Clayton kind of get in a bit of a fight because he loves her and wants to marry her. She clearly has the hots for Woodman. Um, she doesn't know it's Tarzan, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, yo, what if he's a cannibal? And she's like, that's a mean thing to say about someone you've never met before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they decide to like wait a few days for Darno to maybe like come back with Tarzan or something, and it doesn't happen, so they sail away to America. Darno teaches Tarzan French. Because he doesn't know how to speak English that well. Well, he can learn languages within days. So. Yes. There's like a whole section where they are writing to each other in English. And Darno is really weirded out. And so he just starts speaking in French. Like Tarzan at one point says, may we? Before like carrying him through the trees. It's very silly. <sighs> they, all, they all got pretty French, huh? Yep. Um, and like there's a... there's. I don't need to go into it because there's like a lot of little beats that are fine and whatever. It's mostly Darno teaches Tarzan very, very quickly how to be a gentleman and wear clothes and like get ready to go to Europe. He has to teach. How does he not? So they tucked in a little tiny My Fair Tarzan into the yes into the middle of this book that involves him winning a bet against some dudes who are like, you can't kill a lion with just a rope and a knife. And he's like, let me take. <laughs> he goes, let me take off all my clothes and I'll go do it right now. <laughs> Holds, holds my beer, he says. <laughs> That's how he gets 10,000 francs, which he uses to like pay for their journey to Europe. Uh, Darno stays behind to be like, I'm going to look up your lineage because I think that you are Lord Greystroke's son. And then we cut to America. There's a dude called Robert Candler who sucks, who's blackmailing Jane's dad <laughs> uh, into marrying Jane. She says She tells William, I'd rather marry a dude I hate than a dude I respect but not love, which is William. Um, they go to Wisconsin for a reason. Um, there's a fire and Jane is like out for a walk cause she's so frustrated with everything and there's a fire and she gets trapped and Tarzan shows up and he's like found her, um, and he saves her and he asks her to marry him. And with like, I get that he has, like, changed his whole situation and changed his life to follow her to America to be with her. But why does, like, Tarzan care what weddings are or being married is? Like, how does... It's in his blood. It's in his blood. I guess, man. If you've accepted that he can reverse engineer that written language (laughs) is even a thing (laughs) because it's in his blood... Yeah, I guess. Then you've got to accept that he's just got... You know, he loves weddings. He loves <laughs> Judeo-Christian values. It's just all, it's all in there innately. It's true, I And suppose. you just have to deal with it. And no, it's your, your problem if you don't believe him. That's fair. He makes Candler go away by almost killing him. He doesn't for Jane. Um, she can't. It's a good thing he invented mercy earlier. Yes, I know. We'd be, we'd be in a real pickle. <laughs> point. Um, Jane tells Tarzan she isn't sure that she could be with him because he's still this like creature of the jungle. She very hastily says yes to a proposal from William of marriage, who has no idea about the whole Tarzan thing. Um, and then when she comes back to Tarzan, she's like, well, I promised William, so I need you to leave because we can never see each other again because we'll be too sad. Uh and he gets word that he is, in fact, Lord Greystroke, but instead of telling William, which would, like, take all of William's titles from him because he is actually the heir to the to that lineage, Tarzan is just like, yo, my mom was an ape. I'll tell you the story sometime. See you later. And then the book is like, want to learn more about Lord Greystroke, King of the Apes? Read the next <laughs> book. And that's Tarzan. That sounds great. It sounds just great. You know, I was surprised that it did not, that the whole, like, Jane teaching Tarzan 
to be a human thing was not part of the book at all. That was you were, that is you were looking for more of my fair target. That is so that. ingrained in my expectation of the story that I was honestly very surprised that it was like a random Frenchman I'd never heard of. Now is that is that coming from your? Um... That's like how familiar the are you with the, the Disney, Disney movie. movie? Yeah, because I, I was, as, as I was reading about the the 2016 adaptation and ways that modern adaptations have tried to kind of steer around the inherent datedness of oh, like, sure. Tarzan and John Carter, the way the Disney movie handles it is just by zooming in so tight on Tarzan and Jane that anything else ceases <laughs> to exist. So you just kind of it, you put your head in your in the sand and you ignore it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like the, the, uh, guardian piece I read in particular makes a compelling argument. Like there, there is only so much you can do. And this has come up with like other, other characters like James Bond and and some others recently is like, there is only so much you can do to like a modernize a character who has intrinsically like dated aspects sure without just like you might as well be making another character so what are you doing yeah you're only using tarzan at that point for marketing value right and 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 the fact that you are even calling him tarzan like brings this other content like people are going to bring that tarzan context to it and so even if you are trying to get away from that dated thing by by even making the connection you're inviting people to make the comparison and so you make it harder to escape, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because all of these, like the trope of wild boy, feral child stuff that like starts, I think, in Western fiction with Mowgli and then goes to Tarzan pretty directly. Like, especially reading this book, it's so wrapped up in British colonialism and all of that terrible stuff that like, yeah, you ha- you have to reinvent it completely to actually like tell a good story with it at this point, I think. Sure. Like it is so glaring. What I I was like it's the type of thing we've talked about how you like judge books it from the past like this in terms of their like social values and things and like Yeah, and as as a closing question, I'm I'm curious if you can briefly sum up whether you think this is still like worth the like worth the time now like you get do the point you were going to do but that's the thing i want to close on yeah the 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 first point that i would make is that like i don't burroughs has messed up ideas of how the world works that are in line with what you might expect from folks from that era it doesn't excuse them right because they're obviously also folks from that era who'd be like this is bs um but it is of a piece with what you might expect from pop culture of that period it reflects what the mainstream yeah. would have would have been yeah 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 um and i was at least surprised by like the again the little but ultimately i think unsuccessful moments of awareness of what was going on in Africa at that time. And you can also like, again, I pointed at the mutineers. I talked about that a little glibly earlier, but like that's clearly meant to be this impactful moment of like people falling to animalistic behavior. Um, But just the notion of this noble Britishman thing, like being an intrinsic positive value inside of him, that Mm -hmm. does not, I don't know that that quite plays anymore ever. <laughs> like it, just, the fact that it is hereditary and like, yes, there are, we can all hope to have like good things about us that, that maybe we inherit from people. But I think that inheritance is largely like through nurture personally, maybe not from nature. I don't know. It's his, I also think the Disney movie leans into his relationship with his mom a little bit. I don't remember how she like dies or not in the film. Um, but like that is a thing that you could do with this story also and probably have it be okay. Sure. Because that's a thing that people are going to identify with. Um, what was your like question question about my question question was worth it? it? Well, yeah. Like what did you, were there redeeming quality? 
Like, did mm. you, did did you did you enjoy reading it? Are there reasons why? Are there things to find in there aside from like a critique of it that are still worth finding now? Or like, what's your what's when did what ended up being your read on the on the series? I guess. Sure, I found it uh, easy to read, and like it moved at a good clip. It is a pulp adventure story, so like. Right, like that, that's yeah, that's part of the thing. That part of it does work. Like it doesn't linger on stuff. There's some like weird comic duo nonsense with the professor and his buddy that like doesn't quite read. You can tell that it's supposed to be like a funny yuck yuck moment, and I'm just like, <laughs> okay, whatever. But the basic uh like action of fighting with apes and stuff is pretty cool and works. Um the Jane stuff is mostly gross because you have no access to who she is as a person other than her like falling head over heels for this sculpted god woodman um instantly. There's like a little nod to her precarious social position through the forced marriage stuff. Uh, but that's largely underdeveloped because Burroughs didn't seem to care. Um and there are like decent turns of phrase when it's not about stuff that is very dated. Um, there's a section that I will find, uh, that is about like a, it's about like trees falling in the jungle and And a tree falls in the jungle and Tarzan does hear it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So it did make a sound. So, okay, good, good, good. Um, okay. And this is just the, like every once in a while you'll get a cool turn of phrase. Um, when Tarzan is learning about the mystery of clothes and there's a rainstorm, uh, And some trees get, like, knocked over. Um, Now and again, some ancient patriarch of the woods rent by a flashing bolt would crash in a thousand pieces among the surrounding trees, carrying down numberless branches and many smaller neighbors to add to the tangled confusion of the tropical jungle. Um, I liked ancient patriarch in that among the jungle, and, like, it personifies the woods in a way that puts it in place with the other animals we meet. Um... So there's like a sensibility of place that really works. Uh, And every once in a while, again, like you'll get a cool turn of phrase, but then sometimes that is deployed in ways that is like, okay, that's some racist early 20th century nonsense. So yeah, that's the book. You, I think you read it as an academic exercise. If you want to get in there, I I don't, I, I don't think a 2019 reader can read it and just accept it for for like what it's trying to do. I think you probably find somebody who could do that, but yeah, I, I take, I take your meaning. Yeah, yeah. That's my meaning. Um, so if you have read Tarzan or read the other, like ant man books or whatever, um, with Tarzan, then you can tell us all about them. I want to hear about them. Send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up online, twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. Sorry, I don't have names to read, of folks because we're recording these in the past Um, but i'll be manning those social feeds and interacting with you regardless andrew if folks want to know more about the show where should they go overduepodcast.com i assume our website will still be up even though i'm not around to maintain it um i don't know we got spotify we got itunes we got stuff check out our patreon Patreon, patreon.com slash overdue pod uh we got a new listener page with episodes that we like that you can go and listen to if you're trying to get somebody into the uh into the show by the time you're listening to this we're probably a little ways into hellboys check that out if you haven't already check it out Oh yeah hellboys our our divine comedy podcast we're having fun i'm sure it's going very well (laughs) all right everybody thank you for listening and until we talk to you next week try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.